So let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 7 at the end and then read through a portion of Acts chapter 9, 1 through 9. What has just happened is that our brother in Christ, Stephen, one of the deacons in the early church, has just encountered this trial after preaching the sermon about Jesus, and now he is being stoned. So this really happened. I think it's important for us when we read scripture to move into the scene and imagine what that looked like. Imagine what it sounded like. People hostile to the gospel are now killing this man named Stephen. I'll begin at the end of chapter 7, verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garment at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he, Stephen, called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, this is your word and we're grateful. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that that we would realize what happened. That we would see the reality of this. That we would believe it. That we would understand why Saul was the way he was. And learn from what... incredible encounter he had with you. What did it mean for the church then and what then does it mean for the church now? Lord, would you remove everything that would distract us? An emotion, feeling, frustration, illness, longings. Lord, whatever they are that might distract us from this very moment, let us be present that we might learn more about what it means to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a very terrifying time, I think you would agree. Columbine happened a long time ago, and a shooting happens again, and again, and again, 
Sometimes the numbers are lower. Sometimes they're higher. But every time, as a parent or grandparent, as an aunt or an uncle, as a neighbor, a friend, a teacher, an educator, or just a citizen, you wonder, when will the next one be? My wife and I had the conversation about, is our school safe enough? We have the conversation here, is our church safe enough? And we know that we as people should be prudent about such things as security. But we also know that no matter what all we do, the reality of this evil is in the world. It has been from the time since the fall and is going to be until the day Jesus returns. We're not called to live in paralytic fear, but we recognize that it's a frightening time to be alive. Parents are making decisions like they never had to make before. Should I let my child attend this concert? Should we go to this public space? How safe is it really going to be? And we have to answer those questions. The world that we live in is, is really evil, and it really is broken. And when we see these events unfold before us, our hearts break. And each time, because of technology, what we're able to see and how we're able to enter into a classroom and even hear these horrific sounds is awful. Some of you are able to handle it in one way. Others can't even click. But we know it's happened. And we know it's really, really bad. And we know that the world in which we're living in now is growing in its opposition towards that which is true and hopeful and good. Looking for answers that aren't really there because they're not the answer. My dear friends, we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. We have all that we need in the God who is sovereign. God is not surprised, nor can he learn anything about anything that happens in this world. He's grieved, and he's grieved before. It's why he sent his son to die. The world is a really dark place. And the reason I start there is because the world is a dark place because of sin. The Bible's definition of why things like this happen is better than any other definition in the world because it's the right definition, and it has to do with sin. It has to do with the opposition that came against God in the beginning, starting with Satan, and Satan fell. And then the serpent there in the, the creation accounts coming to Eve, and the very first question asked in the Bible is a question against the authority of the God the only true God, the one who made everything. And his question, as you hear me say often, was simply this, did God really say? Opposition to God is always born out of questioning his authority and questioning his will. Satan to Eve, did God really say? Her answer back, God did say. But overcome by that temptation, she does the very thing and the only thing the Lord forbidden them to do she ate some of the fruit, gave it to her husband, he ate, and sin entered the world. Opposition then exists between God and man, between man and woman, and between man and himself, the woman and herself, and the brokenness is real. So great was that devastation, so, so great was that opposition, that the first two children created by God through Adam and Eve, there was murder. One brother kills the other. The world is dark and the world is evil. But the promise, even then, from God's very first question in Scripture, which is the third question in the Bible, is where are you? Is that God is coming for his people. 
God is going to conquer that opposition. From the beginning of Scripture to the end, what you see over and over again in the history of redemption is that God's word is revealed. Just as it was revealed to Adam and Eve, it is revealed through his prophets to other people. Take a look at the book of Numbers. Almost every chapter begins with, then the Lord spoke to Moses. Sometimes it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And then Moses and Aaron would take that word which was given to them, prophecy given, and he would, they would explain it to the people. And sometimes the people would embrace it. And sometimes they would stay with it for a while. Other times they would reject it wholeheartedly from the beginning. And then the curse and consequences would come. That's the history of the world. All pointing, all pointing to this moment when one Messiah would come who would obey that law perfectly, who would do everything perfectly, and he then would become the sacrifice, the perfect lamb for the world. And all who believed in him, this is Jesus, would have eternal life. He came because of man's opposition to God. In this story that I just read, which most of you have heard before and are very familiar with, so many profound things took place. First of all, this man named Saul, in opposition to God, is on a mission. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this narrative in Acts. We've been talking about the power of God. Now we're going to talk about the opposition coming against that power. And the one thing I want you to see and hear over and over again is that God cannot be stopped. It doesn't mean that evil won't happen. But in the end, ultimately, God's plan will be accomplished. It doesn't mean that you won't experience the, the hardship of, of battles that actually seem as if God lost, but he hasn't lost. He is the only one who can do what he can do, and that is to save his people. Oftentimes when we encounter opposition, we think of confronting it. This morning I want you to see that God doesn't confront opposition. He converts it. We don't have the power to do that. None of us. Not even with our own children. We might think we can. I mentioned the baptisms in the first service. There were two little ones running around up here. And that poor mom and poor dad almost missed the whole thing because their little ones were running around. They were not able to convert those little ones into a place of abiding in that moment. Now some of you are judging. Oh, they should have been able to do it. If those are my kids, they would have done it. Well, good for you. But now listen into what I'm about to say. We can confront opposition, and we will, and we should. But God doesn't just confront it. He converts it. He is going to take one of the most evil men he created. Did you hear what I said? He is going to take one of the most evil men he created. He's going to confront him. He's going to condemn him. He's then going to convert him, and then he's going to commend him. It's a lot of C's over the next two weeks. But listen, Saul was the way he was for a reason. He hated people like you, and he hated people like me. And if we were alive at the time, he would have been coming for you. He would have been gathering people around him who also wanted to come for you. He would have gone to the places where we gather and seek to take some of us out. 
It didn't matter if we were killed. It didn't matter if we were put in prison. He was on a mission to obliterate the church. He went door to door. Did you see how Luke wrote that? He went door to door looking for evidence of those who belonged to the way. And if you paid attention, the way was capitalized. That just means Christianity. It's the way of Christ. He went door to door to door to door to door looking to see if people inside those doors believed in Jesus. And if they did, he wanted them stopped. He was evil. And he was being used to obliterate the church. But God can't be stopped. What is happening is that Saul, who wants to obliterate the church, has created a situation where now the church is being dispersed. Because of him, Christians are scattering. They're going to places that are safer. Did that stop Saul? No. That's the very reason why he's on the road to Damascus. He is on the road with letters of authority to say, I can come and get you and your wife, and I can take you bound up to prison. You know, those men and women had children. What did it sound like when those doors were broken open? What were the tears like as chaos unfolded, as this man who was seeking to obliterate the church was calling for people to die? You might think for a moment, Mark, you're really, you're just being too dramatic. No, I'm not. I'm not, because this really happened. Luke is the one who tells us the story first. If you pay attention to what he's saying, and Luke is writing an orderly account, and he's a very bright man. He's a physician carried along by the Holy Spirit, just as he was in the first part of Luke. He's continuing this letter. This is essentially Luke part two. And he's saying, this is what happened. And did you hear what he said? The first time he introduces us to Saul, he said, and the witnesses were laying their garments at the feet of Saul, who was giving approval to a man who was been, being pelted with rocks, stoned to death. That man died. And Saul approved of his execution. Luke is the one who uses the Greek word. He was ravaging the church. Whenever I see a story unfold that, that really is horrific, that shows the worst of mankind, there's a part of me that wants to know why. What happened? How could someone do that? Sometimes we just have to guess or live in speculation. Sometimes it's because the individual is no longer alive. Either they take out themselves or the police take them out. And so all they can do is search for evidence on their computer or through interviews with other people. But occasionally, you're able to hear from the individual's mouth or you're able to see while they're still alive the things that they were thinking about. And when it comes from that first-hand account, as frightening and horrific as that is, it gives the clarity that helps see a little bit more how broken, how blind, how deceived, how evil. The story of Paul's ambition to obliterate the church is recorded here by Luke. But later in Luke, he lets Paul speak. And he then records the very words that Paul spoke 
as to what was motivated him. I want to read those two sections. Most, I think, would say, if I asked you where in the book of Acts does it talk about Luke's conversion, you would say Romans chapter 9, and you would be right. But there's just as much detail recorded from Paul at this point, because he's been converted his own mouth, as he stands before two different groups of people and essentially says, this is why I did it. I'm going to read those two sections of scripture, make one final comment, and then we're going to sing Amazing Grace. The reason Amazing Grace is amazing is because the grace of God saved a man like Paul, like Saul. The reason Amazing Grace is amazing is because that same grace that saved Saul saved me and saved you, men and women opposed to God. So take your Bible, turn to Acts 22, put a finger in Acts 26, and I'm going to read these sections. Now as I do, I want you to picture it like this. This is a transcript of what Saul, converted now to Paul, is actually saying. In other words, you might find that interesting to read something about an individual that did something so heinous. He's telling you why in these two accounts. I'm going to begin in verse 3 and go through verse 11 of 22. Paul has been arrested. He is being persecuted. They have threatened to kill him. And he wants to speak to the people. This is what he says, verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Right there, my friends, is the true reasons why he did what he did. He was strictly, strictly religious, belonging to the most strict form of the rabbinical priesthood, Gamaliel, the one who had one of two schools that would have been considered the most intense and the most strict. Paul was religious. And he was strict in his religion. There was no one more strict. And then he, not Luke, Luke's recording this, but this is what Paul said. He said, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. We'll hear more about what it means to be zealous next week. Verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death. Listen to that. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. That's what he wanted to do. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. 
And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Now flip a page or two to Acts 26. Paul is now before Agrippa. And he has permission to speak. And he again begins to tell his story. I'm going to start in verse 4. He says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. The word Pharisee said it all. In Philippians 3, when Paul's describing his life, he just says, a Pharisee. That was enough. He was one who belonged to the strictest, most religious people. Verse 6, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Now go down to verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, listen to this, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay, Paul tells us in his own words why he was motivated to kill Christians, to arrest them, to have them bound. The reason I want us to go into the depth of how dark his heart was is so that we can see how amazing the power of God is. Jesus Christ was revealed to Paul on this road to Damascus. Some destruction that was great had already been done. But the Lord was going to do what only he could do. He would confront this opposition. He would condemn this opposition. I'll talk more about this next week. But the reason he was blinded is because he was a covenant breaker. And Paul would have known what that meant going all the way back to Isaiah, the law that he knew well and the prophecy he knew well, where the prophet said, at midday, they will be blinded and they will walk around staggering. This is what's happening to Paul. The Lord has confronted him. He is condemning him with this curse. And then he is going to convert him. God doesn't just confront his opposition. He converts it. That same God who called Paul to himself is the same God, dear friend, if you're in Christ, who has called you to himself. 
That same power that was manifest against this evil is the same power used by God to lift the scales off your eyes that you might see. Maybe today is the day in which those scales are beginning to be lifted and you're seeing for the first time. If you have questions, come. But this is the most amazing reality to Christianity. See, it's not a religion like the one Paul was part of. It is a relationship with the living God who from the beginning said, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but because he was signifying, I'm coming for my people, even a people who be opposed to me. Are you opposed to God? Were you born in opposition to God? We'll hear what the scripture says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul was guilty for the death of Christians. Paul was guilty for the death of Christ. Mark was guilty, is guilty for the death of Christ. I was in opposition to God. And then the Lord saved me. And for all who are in Christ, he has saved you. I didn't deserve it. Neither did you. God converts his children. He doesn't just confront them. That's amazing. And may we see the depth of this man's evil, and may we see the depth of our own, and then thank him for all that he's done, that we might live in him forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we just have scratched the surface of one man's life that really points to the man's life, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we sing and leave of your amazing grace, overwhelm us with what these words say. Overwhelm us with what they mean. Let us marvel and wonder at the beauty of your glory. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you've convinced us of such. Thank you that you've converted us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.